Michael Heppel's Sunday Time number one best-selling author of How to Be Brilliant. So can anyone be brilliant? The answer is no. But you aren't anyone. You are you. And Michael is going to share exactly what it takes to become brilliant. Michael's described as one of the top three professional speakers in the world. And he works with people who have a desire to be brilliant, like Davina McCall, Sarah Cox, Patrick Kilty, Simon Woodruff, and many other business leaders, Premier League footballers, and TV personalities. He works with those who've got a desire to set brilliance as their benchmark, who want to take massive action and are ready to make a change. And guess what? You got to find out exactly what it takes for your brilliance to shine. Michael Heppel, it is good to see you, sir. And I've got a copy of your book. This is not the original book. I have actually got a copy of your original. 2004, September, Basil. Basel. Basel. Basel Airport. Basel Brush. Basel Airport. September 2004. I've got an original copy of this book. Wow. And this is the current book. How to be brilliant. Can anybody be brilliant? Do you know, um, probably not. I think that's the thing because a lot of people, they choose to be brilliant at the wrong things. They choose to be brilliant at what they think other people think they should be brilliant at rather than what's important to them. So people have this idea, oh, I want to be brilliant at business, or I want to be brilliant at public speaking, or I want to be brilliant or whatever. And one, they, they can't be bothered to do the work, <laughs> which is a bit of a challenge. It's very difficult to be brilliant at something. Secondly, it's not aligned with their values, so they give up quite quickly. And, and the third thing is people seem to be doing stuff for what others think they should do rather than what they really want to do for themselves. So whenever I, somebody says to me, um, I want to be brilliant at, I say, okay, are you prepared to do whatever it takes? And they go, yeah, 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 definitely. I said, so above your family, you would do that. Well, what do you, no, 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 I wouldn't do that. So I said, well, if you look at an Olympic athlete, they do stuff ahead of their family to get to that point so they can win a gold medal. That's the level that they're committed to. You see people who do amazing things with businesses, and they, they do stuff ahead of their family often. So one of my things, I want to be a, be a brilliant dad and I want to be a brilliant husband. I chose those things very deliberately because <laughs> I don't want to be that person who has a brilliant business, but actually, you know, no relationship with his family. So you've got to choose very, very carefully. Once you've decided if there's a fit, then yes, you can be brilliant. I did not expect you to say that. I thought you were going to say, yes, you can, <laughs> but you said, no, you can't. And... I'm not. I'm not a very good motivational speaker. Sometimes, James. The problem is, is that people kind of. It's it's super easy. You know, stand on the stage, rah rah rah. You can be brilliant at anything. Do all that type of stuff. The reality is, this is a scrap, right? This is a business podcast. The people who are listening to this right now, I guarantee they're in a scrap. They're in a scrap with their customers, their suppliers, their staff, the regulation. It's a scrap. All I want people to have is the right tools to be in the scrap. If you're going to be in a fight, I, I want a hammer, a gun. I want something that's going to help me and protect me. And I think these days, a lot of that rah-rah doesn't help people. People want the tools. Right. All right. We're going to go, we're going to go through the tools, what okay. tools are important, because there's a scrap ahead and we're preparing ourselves for it. So, look, this is one of your books. We've got the rest of your books. Yeah. That were, you know, we're going to focus on this one today. And... You said, no, you can't. And part of the problem is you're trying to impress everyone else. Yeah. That's why you're choosing that. And then you said, the challenge is, if you try to be brilliant at something that's not aligned with your own values, you'll give up easily. That was a BFO, blinding flash of the obvious for me as you said that. Yeah. Well, it's a classic thing, isn't it? Um, so here's a, a, a live example. My daughter left university and decided to start her own business. Why? Because her dad's an entrepreneur. And she thought that was going to be a great thing to do. After six months, we sat down, we're having a chat about something. And she said, Dad, I'm not enjoying it. I said, oh, what, why not? I said, you're doing really well. You've got some good clients. She said, marketing. You've got some good clients. She said, I'm lonely. And to hear your daughter say, I'm lonely. And she said, and I've used a couple of other people, but we're all separate places. And I like this idea of being in an office. And when she was doing a degree in Leeds, she did this placement with a company called Luca. 
just I love being in the office. And it was great. And there was the buzz and there was the excitement. And she says, and I, and I want that. I said, well, why run a business? And she said, because I thought you'd want me to. It broke my heart. I thought you'd want me to. I said, sweetie, do what makes you happy. So she did. So she went and worked for another couple of businesses. And she needs people around it. When she got that, suddenly she was able to find her brilliance. You know when you said do what makes you happy? I thought you were going to say do what makes you brilliant. But when she got that, she found a brilliant. Is happiness and brilliance linked? Totally. Totally, totally, totally. It's again something where a lot of people who go through the pain of something, you know, all worthwhile things are usually the other side of pain. I think we all know that. You know, I, I want to be thinner than I am. I know it's painful to get there. Is it worthwhile doing it? Well, I was fatter than this beforehand. I feel all right now. I've got loads of energy. Yeah, I'll justify it all sorts of ways. If somebody, if I was like, right, you must do this, Mike. It's an absolute must. By this time next year, you have to be two stones lighter or you will die. I'm happy to go through the pain of that. I'll eat less. I'll take more exercise. I'll do, do whatever it takes. Unless I'm prepared to do that, then there's no happiness. So the brilliance element is that there's brilliance linked with happiness, absolutely. Because when I get that, when I achieve that goal, when I'm in that place, when I'm in flow, there's nothing quite like it. Nothing quite like it. But again, only if it aligns with your values. That's the key thing. Values is massive. Values for me is right up there with oxygen. As you were saying that, you know, when you said you've got to do this or you're going to die, the intensity of the comment then just went through the roof didn't it yeah and your whole personal conviction and your whole commitment to it when there when there's a consequence to what you do yeah it goes up so there's pain there that you associate with but yeah. then so has there got to be a bit of pain and it's got to be linked to a desire or your values yeah it's a classic motivation isn't it you know how, how do you achieve your goals well people will do more to avoid pain than they will to gain pleasure I mean, loads of people talk about that. It's not nothing new there. And if anybody disagrees, I always say, okay, how hard would you work to earn £50,000? Or oh, I'd work hard. How hard would you work to avoid losing £50,000 £50, that you've already earned harder? Oh, yeah, yeah. out. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. So people do more to avoid pain, but that only works for the short term. So classic goal setting, I think, should be pain avoidance first. Then how is it going to feel in the longer term? Can you maintain it? Is it going to keep feeling good? Or do you need to find something else? That's why a lot of people flip-flop around. You know, the, the um, serial starters. I start this, I start that. I'm, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I'm going to start Facebook advertising. I'm going to start doing this. Oh, I'm going to improve my customer service. They sign up to every course and they do naff all with the information. When what I want more than anything is for people to say, you know what, I signed up to the course, I did one thing really well and I tested it and then it didn't work, so I did something else. I have huge respect for that. Flip floppers, too easy. Flip floppers, serial. What's what's worse, a serial starter or a serial <clears throat> procrastinator? Or is it the same thing? Oh, that is a brilliant question. Well, I I'm very good at procrastination. Right? I, I'm brilliant. I, oh yeah, I, that's another thing. I am brilliant at it. But like, I, let's just get get out of the car for everybody. This is part of life, yeah. Mm. Totally. I mean, procrastinate. I put the pro in procrastination. If procrastination was an Olympic event, I would win. I'd win gold for Great Britain. I'll not do the next Olympics. I'll do the one after that. Ah, come on. That was yeah, a good. Yeah, that was a good. Yeah. That was a good procrastination <laughs> joke. It was. It was. It was. Yeah. So I had to create systems that worked for me. So one one of the books there is um, How to Save an Hour Every Day. Loads of that is about how to overcome procrastination. Uh, I remember the very first course that I signed up for on how to save time, time management course. It was designed for people who were already good at managing time. The disorganized entrepreneur were loads of ideas. There was nothing for, for us. So I had to invent something for disorganized people, for procrastinators, for those who would tell a good yarn rather than actually doing the work, for those who had a strategy of hope, fingers crossed it might come off, you know, people who could blag it a bit, I created a program for us. What is the secret to killing procrastination then? Do one thing. Just do one thing. Get it over the line. That's it. Finish it. Yeah. I mean, just literally do one thing. Because procrastinators are all over the place. There's no real stuff. Serial starters, yeah. Bit of this going on, bit of that going on. 
And here's a, here's the cheat. Take something easy. You know, if it's like if you haven't finished doing your invoicing, you know how to do it, but it keep it's there in the back of your head all the time. Got to do the invoicing. Got to do the invoicing. Just do that. Sit down. Finish the damn invoicing. And it's not about finishing the invoicing. It's how it makes you feel. Because the second you've done that, it's like, oh, win. Yeah, wait off. There's a win. Now what do I need to do? Yeah, there's then a you win. Get in the next it's, it's way off. It's steam up. Exactly. It's a double barrel. Lovely. Lovely. Yeah, perfect. So yeah, do one thing. Get it over the line. The other thing is get rid of your to-do lists. They're useless. You want a must-do list with only five things on it. Every day. Well, you and Warren Buffett then say the same things. You, you're Warren, up there with great. Warren, everything he knows. <laughs> he, said, yeah. he was just he was just reading how to save an hour every day when he came up with the idea. Was, I'm sure. Was Warren Buffett, <laughs> one of the wisest, smartest, richest, wealthiest people. Yeah, exactly. there you go. And and you and you, it's in, you know, in the same with the same philosophy. Yeah, I mean, I just wish I had. One percent of his investment ability <laughs> wouldn't yeah. that be good? Actually, here's the thing: he would argue that I've got ninety-eight percent of his investment ability. The bit that makes him different is the two percent, the brilliance. That's the thing. What makes Warren Buffett the greatest investor? It's that two percent. He's doing some things on a consistent basis that other people talk about and then don't apply. I promise you. Have you got any idea what they might be? Yeah, number one will be sticking with it. When you read his book, he talks about that. Sticking with something. Don't get caught up with the sparkly things. Um, invest in products that you would use yourself. I remember when our kids were little, my wife said to me, we should buy shares in Sudacrem. Because <laughs> we use... And actually, it's not bad advice. You know, I'll never forget the day. He's a true story. Um, it's, it's amazing, yeah. I'll never forget the day. I was working for a children's health charity. The guy who was the um, the chief exec was a member of the Greggs family. And he went to a Greggs board meeting when a guy called Mike Darrington just took over as the manager director. It became Sir Mike Darrington for the growth that he did in Greggs. And he came back from the, this board meeting and he said, buy shares in Greggs. Everybody in here, buy shares in Greggs. And we're like, all right, Colin, yeah, 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 good. Like, it's easy for him to say, you know, we're all fundraisers working for a charity. And he said, I've just heard a presentation from Mike Darrington about what's going to happen with this business, it starts with bacon sandwiches. I was like, what? And they said, think about it. The shops are already open. They're already there. They're already baking, but we're not selling anything. Our goal is to sell five bacon sandwiches per shop per day, and this is the difference that makes the bottom line. I remember at the time thinking, that's, that's madness. That's crazy. But everybody in the Northeast knew about Greg's. Now it's just this it's like almost like a global sensation. Fantastic. A brilliant, brilliant success story. And it started with that one person saying, we're not just about having a load of shops. We're about creating something with our space that our customers can use. And that was the start of the big the big growth journey. Do you know, I don't know anybody in my life that doesn't like Greg's. <laughs> Do you know, Greg's did my mum and dad's wedding. They did the wedding reception when Mrs. Greg had the business. They had one shop on Gosforth High Street and they provide the sandwiches and the and the pasties and the pies and stuff like that. And they did my mum and dad's wedding reception. They brought all the stuff on trays and took it to the church hall. And I remember when I was working for this guy, Greg, um, <laughs> I used to say, I, rem- I like the days when the, um, the the Greggs were working for the Heppels rather than the Heppels working for the Greggs. <laughs> what would you say to somebody that wants to be brilliant at everything? You can't. You've got to choose three. Oh, are you allowed three, though? You're allowed three. three. Three is the thing. You can be good at loads of stuff. You can be fantastic at a few things. Right. Brilliant, probably three. And they need to be complementary. What? So because otherwise you end up with a values clash, you end up with a thing where one thing competes against the other thing. Yeah, the synergy then. If it's, yeah, you know, exactly. You help one and it helps the other. Exactly. Actually. It's a symbiotic relationship stuff. So, you know, my, my three things were... Um, I want to be a, a brilliant speaker. I want to be a, a brilliant husband. And I want to be a brilliant dad. So, and it's, I'm sat there looking at you know nine books. Why not a brilliant author? Because brilliant authors just write all the time. That's all they do. You you cannot be a brilliant speaker and a brilliant author. People might say, oh well, such and such is no, they're not. They're they're really good at one thing, and they might be brilliant at another. But you 
they do not go together very well because the effort and the energy that's needed to sit down and to do 10 hours a day working on your books, I don't have that. Whereas speaking, I know I can finally hone that. I have a natural ability, which I've then worked on. And that's, that thing, that's another secret as well. How did you get the synergy between speaking and being a great husband? And- well, here's the thing. We worked with a coach. So that's the thing. Here's the secret. Work with somebody who can help you. So I've got a coach, a guy called Peter Fields. I'm doing my stuff in my business. Christine is uh, just started to work in our business at that point. She's brilliant. My wife, I talk about her a lot. Um, a, a accountant by trade, worked for some big organizations, compact computers, did these big merger things, all that type of stuff. Brilliant, brilliant brain, great with people. She came and started to work in our business, and the business took off. So Michael Heppel Limited was actually Michael and Christine Heppel. But it was difficult to work together. And I wanted to be a brilliant husband and also wanted to have this brilliant business. So we worked with a coach, and Peter taught us how to work together. And we created these fantastic systems and great rules about how we would do things. And, oh, my goodness, it works so well. I've I've seen firsthand behind stage the production capability that you, yeah and the synergy that you've got literally as soon as you say this word Christine's pressing this button this music's happening yeah. over here you walk over there it's, it's all planned it is and the other thing that we do a lot of people don't realise this after every presentation we do a full review after every single one and so sometimes I've had superb events I mean. My ego, I can barely get out of the room because stand innovations, all that type of stuff. And then we get on the train to go home and the notepad comes out. And Christian says, right, do you want to run through it now or tomorrow morning? I said, let's do it now. Because I know that her job isn't to go, you were great, you were great. Her job is to say, at that point there, you were chasing the laugh. Didn't need to do that. Just let, let that go next time. And at this point here, you said that, and there was somebody I noticed in the front row looked a little bit uncomfortable with the language that you used there. That might have been all right, but let's not risk it in future. And the way things have evolved now, there's certain things we used to do 10 years ago. You just can't do them anymore. And rightly so. You know, you have to be respectful for what people Health and safety. I said finish every event with people standing on chairs surfing. Yeah, I do. I've you've done it. Yeah, you can't do that now. Somebody hurts themselves, and that's it. You made me stand on a seat. I used to do a thing where you know we would have participation things. If somebody didn't participate, I used to put the spotlight on them and kind of dive into why or whatever. And then one day, um, Christine said to me, "You got to stop doing that because you don't know what's happened in that person's life just before they came in. They could have just wanted to stay at home today." because they, they have a, a mental health issue or whatever, but they came in and they sat down and there you go, Mr. Rara, doing all your stuff and then you picked on them. Imagine if someone did that to our daughter or our son or to you. God, I mean, this is what she's like with me all the time. But it's what makes me better. It's what makes me better. And having someone who will be that honest with you is superb. Yeah, you, you've definitely got the teamwork that's going on there. You've got brilliant teamwork happening. And probably because you've aligned, it's complimentary, isn't it? The, the speaker thing, that, that's your thing. Yeah. That's your brilliant superpower. And you've got Christine in. You want to be a brilliant husband. And yeah. she's... Well, I'm this is the other side now, of course. So when we're, when we're work, work, final, this is one of the things that Peter Field taught us. Somebody has to have a final say on it. You've got to agree that one of you will have a final say. You can't have a point where, so decide where it's going to be. So at work, I have the final say. So Christine can give me some advice. We can be talking about something and I'll say, actually, I want to put it in. I want to have that in for this next event. And she'll say, okay, final decision's yours. At home, Christine has a final say. And when our kids were growing up, and you've got you know, teenage kids and stuff like that, Christine would have a final say with that. And sometimes I'd be like, ah, and she used to go, Come on, who has final say? And once you agree that, it actually becomes quite easy. Rules. Yeah. The rules are there. And if you break the rules, fine. But there's consequence. (laughs) (laughs) What are are the consequences? (laughs) Work it out. (laughs) Doghouse over there. Uh, I want to come back to this Warren Buffett, one thing, five things on the list. 
Um, you've probably heard this story. So this is a, a few moons ago. Um, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, and Bill Gates Senior, Bill Gates Dad, pretty, pretty, pretty smart people. Yeah. They were together at a conference. They were, they were together there, and people would come in to, to listen from him. In, in one of the breaks, a young lad had come there with his parents, and obviously he'd looked to the three the three of them and he plucked up the courage to, to walk up to them and ask for their advice and he said well he was only 19 this 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 young lad and he said guys I've, I've been plucking up the courage to ask you this question all night and I finally got it I just wanted to ask your advice you, you've been really successful in your life I'm 19 have you got any advice for me to be really successful and all three of them, they looked at each other and they simultaneously said one word and they said, focus. If you can focus, you can be successful. If you can't focus, you can't be successful. And that's what I was getting from you as you were saying it, because you said like invoicing, one thing, stay yeah. focused. How does someone stay focused on the one thing and follow through without procrastination and getting it done? It's great difficulty. Otherwise, everyone would do it. That's nice again, though. Even though that's a kind of negative answer, it's comforting. Yeah. It's like there's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> there's nothing wrong. Do you know what? I, I, get, I don't get annoyed or triggered by it, but I become fascinated by these people who say things like, all you have to do. There is no all you have to do. There is no all you have to do. It, this is it's a constant battle of... Just get ahead. The scrap. And, yeah, the scrap. All you can do is be well equipped for it. So how do you get the tools? One, work with a coach. The best thing you can possibly do is work with a coach. Because a coach is not a, a good coach is not only going to keep you accountable, but they're also going to be a bit of a mentor. And there's that thing about, um, you know, great coaches don't give advice. They just ask questions. B.S. Great coaches, if they know the answer to something, they're going to say to you, I've got an idea. Would you like me to share it? And if you're a learner, you're going to go, tell me. And then they're going to hold you accountable to whether you used it or not, whether you tested it or not, whether it's going to work in your business or not, or in your life or not. That's that's what they're going to do. So I think work with a coach. Secondly, read the books. There's a person's life's knowledge available in there for $9.99. And people say I don't know where to get the information. It's a Google search away. It's an Amazon search away. Listen, people who are listening to this now are watching this right now. This is gold. Absolute gold. Not what I'm doing necessarily, but the whole series, all of these things. I've been, of course, I've listened to a few to prepare for the day. I'm, I'm like, every five minutes, I'm stopping it. Or oh, I need to listen to that bit again. Oh, that was great. Oh, what, what a gem. People are sharing their knowledge. They're sharing their shortcuts they want you to be successful. If you're just listening to it or reading it and not doing anything about it, well, more fool you. If you're listening to it and reading it and saying, I'm going to do one thing, see it through, do it well, great. If it doesn't work, I'll do something else. If it does, do more of it. That's it. That's Procter & Gamble used to call it pushing the peanut forward. Does what we're doing right now push the peanut forward? If so, do it. If not, what, push, what pushes the peanut forward? So we, I mean, imagine from Gamble execs all sat there going, is it pushing the peanut forward? I think it is, Chuck. Okay, keep pushing. They're going to do all sure. the time of me. They're not going to be called Chuck, yeah. are they? Definitely. Chuck, what, what an American name, hey, Chuck. Do you know any English people call Chuck? No, of course not. <laughs> and if they did, they would have had the crap kicked out of them at school so much, they would have had to have changed their name by then. <laughs> true, true. Well, you got to be ready for a scrap. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, so he, it's character building that stuff. But what you said there is number one, you want you want to learn how to focus. Number one, go be up for a scrap. Get a yep. coach, read, yeah, and turn that information into implementation, into yep. action. Yeah, but simple actions, simple actions, simple. Do one thing, test it. If it goes wrong, it's that fail fast, isn't it? You know, just test it. Did it work? Yes. If not, what do I need to tweak, or do I need to even ditch it? It comes up again and again and again. But like, do it. Try to do twenty, a little bit of twenty things. Well, it's a surefire way to disaster. Doing something though leads to more information. It leads to feedback. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It leads to giving you insight into what to do. 
and what to do next. Let's talk about technology then, mm. because we're in a we we might be in an AI revolution right now. Let's wait and see. Uh, we're definitely in a technology revolution. What role does technology, even AI, have on people being brilliant moving forward? What do you reckon? I mean, it's it's a massive enabler if you want to use it and you want to use it well. It is a massive hindrance if you don't know how to use it or use it badly. That's the thing. This is the the biggest polarization I've ever seen happening in business right now is use of AI. Because for some, it is incredible to see how they're using it. It's brilliant. For others, I've seen people right now who clearly are sending out their newsletters and have said to ChatGPT, write me 500 words on such and such. And it's dreadful. There's no human involved with that. There's no feeling. It's it's reasonably well written, okay, but you can just sense it. And and to and and people who are writing books like that right now. Now I, I heard a guy last um, spring, and he said, "I'm going to do write a book a week with using AI, using ChatGPT." And he said, first of all, I, I found it difficult to think of the ideas." So I said to ChatGPT, "Can you think of twenty subjects for books that would be instant bestsellers?" So he said, I've got the 20 subjects. And then I said to him, right, now write a chapter on this. Now write a chapter on that. And I'm listening to this guy who sat behind me on a bus, actually. We are going up a hill for a hike. And I turned around and I said, will that work? And he said, I don't care. I just want to get them out there. And I was like, oh, dear me. And that's the thing. AI doesn't care. It doesn't care. People care. And that will be the differentiator in the end. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Famous old quote. And I think that if you can care more and you can use stuff like AI as a facilitator to save a bit of time or whatever, but use that time to care more for your customers, care more for your people, care more for your family, that's what's going to win. I wonder if you could use technology and AI to help you care even more, even faster, even in better ways. Yeah. I'm sure you can, but it's, it's, it's again, it starts off with this values thing, doesn't it? If your value, if a primary value of yours is just to, I want to make as much money and then exit my business, great, good for you. I'm pleased that you've got that level of clarity. That wouldn't work for me, um, but then maybe AI is going to be a thing that's going to help you to do that. The best businesses that I've seen where they've used AI in a really smart way is that the mix between the human and the technology. And it's just kind of, you can't quite work out which one's doing which. Right. So like we all know them, Amazon. I mean, their thing is, if a human has to get involved, it's described as a fault in their system. But if a human does get involved, they're brilliant. They save the day. They fix it. I accidentally ordered Discovery Plus twice, right? I mean, you barely need it once. <laughs> but I, What was on? It was a Newcastle match. Oh, so, I, so I ordered it twice. And I said, I went, oh, man, my billing comes through. It's there. It's there twice. I get in touch with them. Do you know what they did? Not only did they refund me, they refunded me the other one as well. Just have a month on us. I was all set to cancel it, to be honest. Now I can't because they put a deposit in my emotional bank account. Now, AI couldn't have done that. I don't think AI couldn't have done that. But the person on the chat made the decision to do it was authorized to do it. They maybe had a look at my Amazon account and thought, this guy has spends a lot of money on Amazon. Um, let's let's do this for him. But for twenty nine ninety nine, I was just buzzing. Pretty good, isn't it? I mean, is there anything so that I can become an enable? Technology can enable me. What do I have to do first so they can start enabling me instead of detracting from? Have a brilliant human system first. You've got to make it work with humans. Empower yourself first. Yeah. So yourself, then your team. So create your own brilliant system and then say, well, which parts of this can be automated? Which parts could be enhanced by using technology? Will it make it better or will it just make it cheaper? If it makes it better and cheaper, great. And Good, different. Good Ooh. distinction between the two, by the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then if it's working, then do more. If it isn't, then keep keep tweaking it but it has to work with a good human system first so people now kind of got i'm going to set up this business that's going to do this great automation and i'm going to use drop shipping i'm going to do this i'm going to do that until you put a book in, in an envelope 
or a product in an envelope yourself, sealed it up and sent it out, don't start using drop shipping. Because you don't know what it's like. You don't know how it might break. You don't know how it's going to feel in the envelope. Does it need to have this around it? Should it have a little letter with it? Does it need an explanation with it? That's that's the stuff that needs to happen first, and then you can start on automate. Let's go on to superpowers because you talked about how we're brilliant, you know, choose three things. I'm sure you, I think you invented this word word. How to be brilliant uh brilliant. <laughs> That's it. Right. So what is that a superpower? Is that like taking something that you're brilliant at and just like being yeah. best in the world? I I discovered this when I was it's a weird thing. I don't do a lot of coaching. You know, if somebody comes to me for coaching, nine times out of ten, I just say go to action coach because they're going to be better and there's going to be an action I'm, coach. I'm going to go there in a second because you don't know who I am, but I've, I've done a bit of research on some things you've been doing behind the scenes. Right, okay. So I, I, I would do that. However, if, I, if I'm if i coaching somebody, I'm always fascinated by people who are already brilliant at something and then come to a coach and I'm looking at them thinking, what on earth do you need a coach for? And that's when this thing about how to be brilliant era came about. And um and I and those people who are at the very, very top of their game are fascinating because they are looking for the smallest thing that might give them even more of an edge. And they and they take the notes and they follow through and they do whatever it takes. And you know, a classic example would be Simon Woodruff. So there's the guy who's the he's the founder of your sushi, your tell, all that type of stuff. Simon asked me to be his coach. Dragon? Yeah, he was one of the original dragons on Dragon's Den. Simon asked me to be his coach. I'm thinking, well, this is bonkers. What does he need me for? And I went and I sat on his, he's got a houseboat on the Thames in Chelsea. It's a really cool setup. We sat down and I said, I'm honored to be here. And this is really, really lovely. What can I do for you? And he said, there's areas of my life where I'm not brilliant and they're important to me. And I've read your book and, and understand what the values and I need help in those areas. I said, all right, okay. And um, and one of the things, I'm not ta- talking out of turn because he's talked publicly about this. He said, I'm very uncomfortable making new relationships and developing relationships. So I don't know why I've got this thing in the back of my mind that there's maybe somebody should shaft me or, you know, I, I don't know where it comes from. Can you help me with that? And I was like, yeah, sure. And we worked together for 90 days. At the end of the 90 days, he hosted a dinner with 10 people who he didn't know. He knew them slightly, but didn't know them particularly well. And he had this dinner on the boat and um, and built these great relationships. It was the most glorious, glorious thing. And he went, Michael, your work here is done. I said, oh, I love that. I love being sacked as a coach. You know, I don't want to be one of those coaches that, you know, oh, five years time, we're still talking about the same old stuff. You know, progress, Quit. sack me um, or I'll leave. And then a year later, let's come back and do something else interesting so i think that i think for me that's a lovely thing to do it is i mean so just on relationships there what did you learn about relationships as you were helping in there what's the key to developing relationships well i think the thing is you've got to put it out there first you know everybody's waiting to be asked so it's a great thing to ask somebody um people are terrified people worry about rejection you know, Simon's thing was, he said, um, I said, by the way, so I'm just thinking about this. You're Simon Woodruff. You're inviting me to come for a dinner on your house spot in Chelsea. I'm going to cancel anything I've got on to come. Oh, I don't think people will think that. I said, they will. They will. And sure enough, when he got these 10 people, I mean, it was such a brilliant, brilliant group of people who, who were sat around. It was a bit of a, you know, everyone had a story. Everybody had something interesting about them and we designed it like that. But yeah, people are frightened. So you got to put it out there. That's really, really key. Um, secondly, go into it with this idea of giving. What do I want to give? A lot of times people start to build up relationships thinking, what can I get out of this? What can I get from it? If you go into it with what can I give to it, it's a very, very different relationship. I started a group called Team 17. And um, it's like a, a, a private coaching community. There's a 140 people in it great group of people every single person who joins says what what can i do for the group can i run a stream can i be an accountability partner for somebody here i've got an idea i'll do an introduction it's and then the person who does go and say i need a little bit of help with this there's like 15 people dive in and want the help straight away 
It's a glorious community. Whereas you look at something like LinkedIn, which is great, but everybody's wanting something from LinkedIn. You know, you can, there's very few people who are on LinkedIn who kind of go, I just want to contribute to the LinkedIn community. There's a lot of kind of, I'm, I'm just looking for a few leads. They're never overt about it. Yeah. But you know, there's a little bit of a hint there, isn't there? Yeah, well, it's, it's fastly becoming not the way to do it to sell on uh, in networking groups or on LinkedIn you know yeah. you, you're not going to you're not going to survive very long if you sell 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 anymore no, it's just a modern, yeah. the, it's just the modern world that we that we live in so give not get go first develop them relationships now you work with some other people not just Mr Woodrow yeah you've worked with Davina McCall as well well Davina's become a very very good friend but it started actually it started from that dinner there's a thing. So let's talk about a full circle. Really? One of the guests at the dinner... Davina McCall? No. Oh. Was Davina's husband at the time, a guy called Matthew Robertson. So he was there. I didn't know who he was. I had, as you would imagine, a few copies of um, How to Be Brilliant with me because it's my book and um, I was quite proud of it at the time. I'm still proud of it now. And I gave him a copy of How to Be Brilliant because he, he, we got on really quite well. And it was only later that I worked out, ah, oh, it's Davina's husband. I see, right, okay, because Matthew Robertson, Davina McCall didn't really work. Then about eight weeks later, there's a magazine article, one of the Sunday magazines. And Davina said, what, what are you reading? She said, I've just read this brilliant book. It's called How to Be Brilliant by this guy, Michael Hubble. It's fantastic. I really, I love it. So, and a friend of ours sent it to us in the post. She said, did you see this? It was in the... Telegraph magazine or something last weekend. So you're buzzing, aren't you? An author. Tafina McCall did that. Oh, my. I was from Matthew. Oh, all that type of stuff. So I just got in touch. I just wrote to her and said, thanks very much. If you ever want to get together, I'd love to have a chat with you. If there's any way I can ever help you with anything. Anyway, Davina does this thing where she rings people. Right? If you send her a message, she rings you back. She's on. She thinks it's so much better and faster. It's great. Pick up the phone. Don't hide behind emails. Pick up the phone. You know, so... um. And so I was just about to do a kit an event, and soon the phone after I don't recognize. Hello, Michael speaking. Hi, Michael, it's Davina. Thanks very much for your letter. I loved it. I loved the book. And yeah, I'd like to take you up on the offer to meet up. I was like, great, brilliant. So we set it up. She tried to get out of it three times. It was one of those weird things, just kind of messaging going, um, you must be really busy, and if you don't want to do it now, we can maybe do it after the summer and all this type of stuff. I thought, I'm going to get to you, no matter what it takes. I'm interested to meet you. I went to a house and um, I said, right, come on, let's sit down. We'll have, a, we'll have a proper coaching session. She went, I don't think I've got anything that I need coached on. And then if you read Davina's autobiography, she, she writes a whole chapter on this. Within 30 minutes, she is in floods of tears, really, really upset. Um, and, she, and she said, my, my life's a mess, absolute mess. I said, that's great. We're going to fix it now. She says, how long does it take? I said, about an hour. So no way. I said, we're going to fix it in an hour. All we're going to do is find the, the three biggest things that create the most bandwidth for you, and we're going to create a plan for each one of those. And after that one hour, she decided to leave Big Brother, just getting a new agent, and did another thing, which is more of a personal thing that she wanted to do. And changing agents was massive for her, absolutely huge. And she switched from the guy who she was with, who she'd been with right from the start of her career, but it wasn't a good relationship anymore. The relationship had changed. And um, I said, to her, I said, who would be a perfect um, manager? And she said, um, oh, um, Simon, not Simon Cowell, Simon, um, uh, the guy who managed the Beckhams and stuff. I've forgotten his name. Simon, blah, 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 whoever he is. Um, so this is him. I said, right, okay, let's ring him. So why not? I said, I said, you're the one who's, who rang me. You put it in the box. She said, yeah, but I can't ring him. And um, I said, well, Let's do it. So she, anyway, so have you got his number? Well, I've got his office number. So she um, she rings up and she said, um, "Oh hi, it's um, it's um, D Davina McCall here. Can I speak to to Simon?" All right, yeah, 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 no problem. Oh no, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, just just let Tom have call. Thanks. Bye, 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 bye. So when she goes, "Oh, he's, he's in Los Angeles at the moment," I said, "All right, okay." So what's that? So I've just said that that call. Oh my, my phone's ringing. Oh my goodness! Answer the phone. It's him from LA. The receptionist immediately rang him and said, Davina McCall's on the phone. She wants to talk to you. He was like, how can I help? Said, well, I'm sat here with a coach, and I've just made the decision I'm going to leave my manager. 
can I come and see it? No problem at all. I'm back in the UK two days time. Let's get in the diary. And that started that journey. So she didn't go with him in the end. She went with somebody else. Um, but it started that whole journey. Since then, and I've coached Sabina on all sorts of stuff. When she was doing those big um, challenges for sport relief, um, I was a mental coach. <laughs> it's crazy thinking about it. Um, and I remember there's one point, in the, if you watch this, the video of the, of the documentary about it, and she's on this bike, and the snow is coming straight on, like horizontal snow straight at her. And she's coming up, and under a under breath, you can hear her going, I could be warmer, I could be warmer, I could be warmer, because our biggest fear is the cold. And I said, stop saying the word cold. She says, but what if I'm feeling cold? I said, say you could be warmer. And she went, oh, I love that. I could be warmer. So then the key word you're thinking about then is warmer rather than cold. She said, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it. Sure enough, on this, you know, millions of people watch on the BBC, she says, I could be warmer, I could be warmer. Um, but she's an extraordinary human. And I, and I mean this. And I'll tell you one more Davina thing, which sums up the person that she is. Um, we were out for supper one night in, in London, and we came out of a place called the Woolsey. I don't know if you know the Woolsey restaurants, right on Piccadilly, lovely place. And there's a guy outside, homeless guy, and he sat there. He said, Can I, I'm, I'm getting a bit of money for somewhere to stay. So Davina goes straight up. She opens up a, um, a purse, and as she's hand over the money, she said, Where do you want to stay tonight? And he said, I'm trying to get enough for a bed to get into such and such. He said, if you stay there before whenever I can, he said, um, is such and such still there? So the name of somebody, you know, Tom Smith, whoever he was. Yeah, yeah, he says, well, say I send my love. And he went, you're Davina McCall, aren't you? He says, yeah, yeah, I am. He goes, oh, can I have an autograph? So it's a weird thing. It's freezing cold. It's in December. It's, you know, on Piccadilly. Between me, Davina, her husband, Christine, the doorman, nobody had a pen or paper. Right, so we're all like that. And she said, look, I'll tell you what. Should I just give you a hug instead? So this guy stood up and she hugged him. I've never seen a hug like it, James. It was phenomenal. She held him. No, really held him. And then suddenly he just felt this. And his shoulders dropped. And by the way, this guy was lifting. He was minging. He was, he was proper, proper on the street. You could smell him. He was filthy. You know, awful hat, just everything. She just held him mm. like I've never seen. And then she gently just let go. I'd cry actually thinking about this moment. And she said, How was that? He went better than an autograph. Yes. And we just walked off down the street. I was like, That is that person. Some people, oh, she's a bit squawky and she, you know, she gets on my nerves or whatever. But you like, know what? That it's just a beautiful human moment and i've seen her do that type of stuff loads of times well i watch her online you know i watch her on tv and she's incredibly relatable i mean she goes online on some some stuff i mean she's even done stuff for you yeah and you see her she's changing her glasses she's yeah. getting herself all prepared she's on camera she's not bothered no she's just so down to earth yeah totally and and normal and that little story there of you know giving the hug perfect it is perfect yeah all right. Well, look, fantastic story there. Um, you've also you've also done Sarah Cox. Well, Sarah Cox, this is a this is another funny one. Sarah Cox rang Davina. She said, "My career's gone. I don't have. I've got one part time job on Radio Two. Um, I was supposed to do a television thing. It's fallen through. Um, I can barely get the opener of a supermarket. Yeah. Can I? Can you help? She sent that as a text." Davina rang. You need Michael Heppel. Who's that? He's my coach. He's he'll help you. He's brilliant. He's really really great. So, so she gets in touch and she went, "Hi, you don't know me. I'm my name's Sarah Cox." I, I said, "Of course I know you." She goes, "Yeah, um, Davina said I should get in touch. I, I need a coach." I said, "No problem. Here's how we work. Ninety days. Blah blah blah." Um, so I went to her house. She opened the door and she went, "Thank God for that." I said, what? She goes, I was honestly expecting someone with a big white beard and robes. <laughs> I was like, why? She's, that's what I thought a coach would look like. Right. I said, a white beard and robes. Like, God. So she goes, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So um, anyway, we sat down with Sarah. And she, this, is, this is strategy. How do you go from having that nothing 
to get into an ultimate point. And her ultimate place that she wanted to get to was a daytime radio show on Radio 2. That's, that was the side of Radio 1. And then she started Radio 1, and then she, she took, you know, did the breakfast show there. Yeah. Takes time out to, for her kids. A lot of people would do that. Getting back in, very, very difficult. And she was doing these little part-time things on Radio 2. So I said, okay, first thing you got to do is got to find three mentors who've done this. People who've dropped down and then they've come back. And, oh, I, I don't, I said, you know these people. They're in your phone. Ring them. And one of the people who she rang was Richard Maidley, you know, Richard and Judy. Yeah. And um, he's a brilliant guy, Richard Maidley, really, really brilliant. And he said, let's have lunch and we'll talk about what we can do. Did that to another couple of people, set up the strategy, started to work on it, cutting a longer story short. Three years later, she gets the job of hosting the Tea Time show on Radio 2. Seven million listeners. She has three major TV shows. She can open any supermarket she wants, but she doesn't want to obviously. Just amazing, amazing success story. And and Sarah and Davina both say the same things. Would never have, oh, it was down to you. I said, it was not down to me. I'm simply a catalyst for you to be able to do this stuff. That's all. That is all I am. And Sarah is, again, one of these, I call them one of us. You know, when you meet somebody, you kind of go, oh, they're one of us. Give first. Very, very self-deprecating. They, they really care about their craft. They want to do a brilliant job. Not for a minute would they ever take something for granted. Prepare to take their rough with the smooth and then go on and help other people as well. And, let, you know, let's be, let's be clear about this. Both of those two are at the top of their game. They are exceptional at what they mm. do. They are the definition of brilliant. Uh, yeah. Even as humbly as they want to say, and, you know, self-deprecating, they're just human beings. You, know, you, you don't get to that position if you are not seriously brilliant at Absolutely. what you do. So fantastic stories, actually, as well. Now, you've also coached comedian. Patrick Kilby. Yeah. Northern Ireland. Yeah. Well, Patrick, again, Davina. She recommended me to Patrick. Um, I sat down with him. He was in a really, again, he was talking about this publicly. He was in a really bad place with lots of stuff. Um, relationship problems, all sorts of things. So, did start with him, as I do with everybody, the wheel of life. It's a great, yeah. the best way to start a coaching session. Yeah. yeah, just start that with the wheel of life. And in there, he had um, close relationships and he gave himself a three. So what's what's that about? A three? And he goes, so in my head, I know the one. I just can't find it. I can't get to it. I said, all right, okay. So we're talking about different things. And second session that we had, so how are you getting on with that? And he went, well, I've started, you know, to talk to who I think is the one, but, you know, there's a few logistical problems. And I was like, what? And he goes, oh, anyway, he said, She's in California and I'm here. He said, we've been great friends for a long time, but we kind of flirt on and off with each other. I said, well, what's stopping you from going out to see her? And he went, oh, I don't know. Anyway, the following week, he was in a pub in Ireland and he's had a few to drink. And this particular person, it was her birthday the next day. Just got to midnight, so I'll ring her. So he picks the phone, hey, happy birthday. She goes, hey, she says, are you in a pub? She says, yeah, yeah, it's happy birthday. She goes, it's not my birthday until tomorrow. He goes, it's your birthday here now. What time is it for you? She goes, it's like five o'clock in the afternoon. Well, happy birthday from here. What are you doing for your birthday? She says, I'm going to be at the Beverly Hills Hotel. I'm having lunch with a bunch of friends. He goes, all right, I'll be there. Right? And just said it like that. I'll be there. And she went, all right then. See you then. That was it. He just suddenly thought, I'm going to do it. I am absolutely going to do it. So he got the first flight out of Belfast that morning to Heathrow. Gets on a flight from Heathrow. Flies to Los Angeles. Because the time difference, he arrives at about 1 o'clock. Something like that. Gets into a cab. Says, take me to the Beverly Hills Hotel explain to the cab driver what it is that he's doing. He said, you were in a pub in Belfast last night and then you suddenly, you've, you've got on a flight this morning and you're flying over there and she doesn't know you're coming 
and it's her friends that she's meeting, and you're just going to go in there. And he goes, it was a good idea last night. <laughs> and he pulled him outside and he said, okay, thanks so much. And the cow driver said, should I wait? <laughs> Big border confidence, isn't it? Should I wait? And Patrick goes, no, you should not wait. And he went in, just walked in, walked to the table and went, so I'd be here. And from that moment, they started going out with each other. Then they got married and now they've got two kids and that one was Cat Dealey. And he married Cat Dealey. I mean, how brilliant is that? It's just phenomenal. But then in terms of his career, same sort of thing, right? Who do you know who can help you? Who who can help you with various things? So he's, he's doing stuff and um, I said, stand-up comedy is only part of what you do. You're a brilliant presenter at other things as well. So he had a bit of radio, did a bit of Radio 2 stuff. They started to do these documentaries and him hosting documentaries is incredible because he cares and he's put so much research in. And he said, you know what, Michael, I remember you saying to me, you learn the whole iceberg, you present the top bit. That's all you do. That little bit at the top. He said, so I went deep into all this knowledge for doing these things about, you know, Mulholland Drive, which you might have heard of in LA, is named after this guy called Mulholland, who was from Ireland, who went over and he brought water to Los Angeles did the big dams, he did all this stuff, it was a phenomenal thing. So I learned all about that and he went and did this um, documentary and it was brilliant. Uh, anyway, Patrick's gone to do lots of other things and then last couple of months, he's landed the biggest job on Irish television. He's now the new host of The Late Late Show, which has the highest audience figures of anything in Ireland. It's the ultimate job to get. He's doing that, he does a show on BBC Radio 5 and he's doing his family stuff. It's it's brilliant. And it's a, a joy to see him. And again, just the type of person who he is. He did a talk for us when we did a, we do a thing called Day 17 and he, he came on and did this talk about forgiveness. His father was murdered during the Troubles. And he does this he did this talk, he talked about forgiving the people who killed your father. Could you imagine that? I mean, and about Mo Molum. What a brilliant inspiration she was on the whole process and how she's the one who was actually forgotten about and he said this beautiful story about how more Mormon was visiting the H block prisons and um, and the, somebody said to her um, in one of the parliamentary meetings why are you going there they won't listen to you she said I'm not going to talk to them I'm going to listen to them I want to hear what they have to say it's not my job to tell those people in prison what they should think. They know what they think. That's why they're in prison. My job's to listen to what they say and to understand that and try and create a peaceful process around it. Everyone inside. You know what? I love all four stories, actually. And those that's not four stories about celebrity success. No. That's four stories about normal people making a choice to be brilliant yeah. in, in a certain way within 90 days yeah. and just doing it. Absolutely. Confronting the pain, confronting the challenge. Yeah. You know, getting over the fear and just doing it and look at what's happened. It's a, in 90 days, that's in a, a short period, space of time. Yeah. 90 days is a great length of time. You can do a lot in 90 days, actually. An awful lot. You, well, you can. I mean, yeah. we've just heard it. Yeah. You know, you know that that's not celebrity success. Everybody, including you listening right now, can do it exactly the same in 90 days. I've got some quick questions for you. Sure. I know you've brought all of these books yeah. and uh, they're incredible. Thank you. And um, what's your favourite book that you've read? I mean, the classic is Think and Grow Rich, which I know everybody talks about, but it is brilliant. Why? Because it's timeless. Every time you read it, it almost answers a little question you've got going on in your head at that time. What emotional impact has that book had on you? Um, I mean, it's transformed me. It's, it was the first personal development book that I read. I mean, I didn't realize at the time I was starting with the classic. Yeah. My second one was um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I mean, I did them, I did them both in yeah. two weeks. It was, just, it was just mad. So, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It really is. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, there should be a version of it. Now you don't need a version of it now. Just read that one. Yeah, classic. Yeah. 1937. Yeah. Napoleon Hill. Thinking Grow Rich. All right. Um, favorite movie? The Castle. Are you the king of the castle? No, I'm not the king of the castle. The Castle is an Australian film. It is the most heartwarming, brilliant, brilliant movie. 
I must have watched it 150 times. Um, it's because it, it it it's beautiful. It's brilliant. It's a comedy. Um, it basically, the, the the premise is that there's a family who live right next to an airport runway, and and the dad is so positive about everything, and the son is narrating it. So the son starts off this whole narration at the beginning goes, "We live right next to the airport, which would be incredibly convenient if we ever wanted to fly somewhere one day." Now imagine that anybody else living next to an airport, they'd be complaining about the noise and all that type of thing. This kid, they haven't even flown ever. It would be it would be convenient should we ever want to fly somewhere. They have they live under these massive pylons, and you can hear them buzzing all the time. And he goes, Dad. Sometimes I just find him looking at the pylon, <laughs> and he goes, Son, that is about man's ability to generate. <laughs> That's what he thinks. Anyway, they, then there's a compulsory purchase on their house and the few houses next to them because they're going to build a, a big distribution center. And he stands up against these the big guys. And um, as you would imagine, he wins in the end because of, of, of a wonderful coincidence. Putting it out there, ends up talking to this guy who turns out to be a barrister. The barrister defends him. Um, and there's so many beautiful, beautiful parts to it. And it's great. The castle, yeah. Number one, Rudy. Favorite holiday destination? If you'd asked me this 12 months ago, I would have said Formentera, which is Abitha's little cousin, um, the, the, you know, the, the island just off there. We'd go there a lot. It's changed a bit. It's not quite what it was. And this last year, we rediscovered Menorca. Oh, beautiful. Just being there. This yeah. Menorca. Great. Great for families. It has pretty much everything. Much more relaxed. You know, go through the airports of Doddle, yeah. you know, since... We were stupidly enough to vote for Brexit. Getting into some places takes two hours. Menorca, you can still get in in 15 minutes. Yeah. It's pretty simple. Yeah, Menorca, I would say at the moment. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Teleportation. Where would you go? Anywhere you want, because you teleport. <laughs> I mean, literally, <laughs> to get here today, I would have been sat at home, and then I would have looked at my watch and went, oh, time to meet with James. Boom. Off to South Shields to stop all age. Did you have to yeah. blink? I think, yeah, I have to do that. You probably have to, you know, remember the bread that goes, so don't do that thing or <clears throat> do, do something. But the amount of time in my life that I've spent traveling, I love travel, but I don't like being stuck on, you know, West Coast railways, yeah. going to um, crew to do a job for, um, you know, a, a, a call center on a wet Wednesday morning. I'd rather be at home and then just, <clears throat> I'd appear. Early bird or night owl? Night owl, million percent. How how late? I can work anytime. I, when I write, I'll write till two or three in the morning without any problem at all. And um, but sometimes, I mean, I, I mean, I, I can do early. Sometimes I'm up, I'm up at the crack of ten. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I can do early if I need to, but it's not my preferred yeah. mode of operation. What time did you get up this morning? Um, ten past eight. Oh, really? That was. Really? <laughs> oh, my God. All right, so if you could have one day in someone else's life, who do you choose? Past or present? Oh, that's a good one. You know, can I, there's a mate of mine who... Let's tell you, but I don't know if I've ever told you about this friend of mine, a guy called Andy Alderson. Have I told you about him oh. before? Andy's a really, really special guy, and he's in, a, he's in this brilliant transformative time of his life. Every time I talk to him, I'm fascinated by what he's up to and where where he is right now and the thought process that he's going through. So, he he started a business called Vanarama, oh, yeah. um, vehicle leasing company, and I became his coach and I became his best friend, which is just a lovely way to do it. And oh, I'll give you an idea. This is the type. This is the type of person that Andy is. Um, in 2014, he the that business on paper was worth 750 thousand pounds. They were doing a really good job. They were, you know, they owned the town. Andy wants to own the country and then own the world. That's his. That's yeah. his thing. And they they got involved. Did a bit of TV advertising, and they came with a quirky advert. I kind of cut through, you know, and the um, that that was doing all right. But he knew he needed to do something else that was going to be bigger. And their avatar for their particular types of clients, mainly people who were um, van drivers into their sports, that type of thing. So they looked at sports sponsorship 
and they looked at doing a, a shirt sponsorship deal. Anyway, it's ridiculously expensive, and at the end of the day, you're not going to get a lot from it because all the other people, all the other teams, they're going to hate you anyway because you're on the front of somebody else's shirt. And then he got an opportunity to sponsor the national leagues, you know, the the, the proper lowest divisions. But they still read out their scores on the television and things like that. It's the only time you could get your name commercially read out on the BBC. So they would say that Vanarama National League, you know, the um, the Carling Premiership, that, that type of thing. So he looked at this and he, and he ran me up. He goes, Michael, I've been given this opportunity. What do you think I should do? Well, I hate it when somebody says that, especially when it's a business decision. So what are the options? He goes, well, right now on paper, the business, our business is worth £750,000. I've been given an opportunity to sponsor the National Leagues, but it's quite expensive. I said, how much is it? £2.25 million. That's why you haven't got the money to do it. He said, no, but if it works. I was like, yeah, but if it works. He says, yeah. He said, because my thinking is this. As much as everybody might have their favorite team, you know, Man United, Leeds or whatever, they also have their second team. Blythe Spartans, you know, Gateshead, you know, that type of thing. They're going to have a second team. If we could sponsor that whole league, then I think we've, we've got something a bit special. So Andy, that amount of money says, yeah, it's literally we have to generate it and spend it straight away. So but I think I think it could be a game changer because if you own the if your brand recognition is high enough, everything else becomes easier. So I said, well, I'm not going to advise you, but I think you already know the answer. He said, yeah, I have to let them know by nine o'clock tomorrow morning. And at five past nine, he sent me a text and he said, and the results from the Vanarama National League are, we've done it. It's like, wow. And it was a total game changer. He sold that business last year for 200 million. I mean, and Vanarama, if you look now like Wrexham, all the success that they've had, and they're holding the, their cup for the Vanarama's hanging from it all around the pit. Vanarama, they won the Vanarama League. So Ryan Reynolds can do all the publicity you like, but it's still branded Vanarama. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So he sold that business. So I'm always interested when people sell a business, what do they do next? And he's decided to do something else. I can't actually say what it is now, but I, what I would do is, if you're on LinkedIn, look up Andy Alderson, oh. Vanarama, or, or, and, and follow him and see what he's going to do next. Because next year, he is planning something so brilliant, which will be very, very good for smaller businesses as well, and especially businesses that are interested in growth. And to have his mindset for a day, I think would be brilliant. It's a great story as well, isn't it? I mean, that is like a risk. Do I do it? Do I not do it? I'm, I'm all in. Yeah. Beautiful story. He describes it as it was it was all on red. It was literally that spin. Will it work? 2.25 million. <laughs> red. Yeah, on red. But actually better than that because it came out as 200 million in the end. There you go. So, all right. Who've been the three biggest trusted advisors in your life? Oh. Do you know what? So here's a funny thing. The most obvious one is Christine, my yeah. wife, you know, who who is brilliant. But I could talk about her all day. When Rachel Stock, who you probably won't have heard of, but she's a publisher. She was my first publisher. She chose to publish How to Be Brilliant. She taught me so much about writing so people want to read. She's a lot of authors, all they want to do is get their message over. And they forget that it's there for the reader. And she taught me to write so people would want to read and that people would enjoy it. And it would be simple without being too simple. You'll have enough of the story if you have to expand on something, how much. She published five of my books and taught me masses. And then the other person would be a guy called Alan Percival. And Alan changed my life, totally, totally changed my life. I was daft Mickey Heppel when I was a teenager. I mean proper daft as a brush. Is that what they used to call you, Mickey Heppel? Mickey Heppel, yeah. I mean, completely, completely crazy. What's changed? Um, I'm just a bit old. <laughs> <laughs> but some of the stuff I would get would be would be terrible. And I had this reputation. And I belonged to a youth organization called the Boys Brigade. And and then I be, got a bit older and I became a, a leader in the Boys Brigade. But I, I still had this bit of a moniker of being this daft Mickey Heppel. So even though I was an officer in the Boys Brigade, I didn't get a lot of respect, especially from the other older people and definitely not the ones that were a bit older than me. Alan kind of saw this little thing in me. He knew there was something. I was working as a roofer, um, 
for my dad, um, I done my apprenticeship in uh, once confided in, and I didn't really enjoy it. And he said, um, "I've got this idea. I think we should do something at the National Garden Festival in Gateshead in 1990." So they were doing these big garden festival things. This was the year before, 1989, and we went for a meeting with the people at the National Garden Festival. And Alan was sat there and he goes, "So." We want to get involved. We want the boys we get to be involved. Blah, blah, blah. We've been pushing on all these different places. And they said, well, the best place for you to go is the charity centre. And he said, we'll keep hearing about the charity centre. Who runs the charity centre? They said, we need someone to do it. And Alan went, we will. I'm sat there thinking, this is a bit weird. So I said, really? He went, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. So um, we had a little chat around it. Walked out of this meeting and I said, I'm well. When you say we will, he went, well, you will. <laughs> I said, but I'm, I'm a roofer. And he goes, not anymore. He said, he said, take a year off and do that. And then decide if you still want to be a roofer. He had so much faith in me. You know, when somebody just, I would say, give me this huge responsibility. He would mentor me through it, but it was my job to deliver this. And from that moment, my life completely changed. That was my sliding doors moment. Alan Percival. Alan Percival, life changer. The man himself. What's the first thing that people should do once they've listened to this? I would say um, have a little look at your notes. If you haven't been taking notes, go, oh, damn, I should have been taking notes. Pick one thing and test it. Don't try it. Try is a weak word. Get rid of, well, try that. Don't try it. Just test it. And test it thinking, what if this works? What if it doesn't? It doesn't matter. Whatever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Just test something. And if you get a result, do it again. If you don't, find something else. You know, my favorite part of this conversation has been, you filled me f- full of belief. Through, partly through them stories that you shared on these celebrities, that significant things can happen in 90 days. Okay. That, that's, that has been my favorite bit. What's yeah. been your favorite bit? I and I mean I really enjoyed talking to you, James. As you know, I think you're a very good interviewer, by the way, because you one of the things that you do beautifully is you chip in with one or two stories at the right time. You let people talk, which you know when I interview people, I have to stop myself because right. I always want oh here's a thought oh oh I can add to that. You should never do that when you when you interview and you've been been great with it. But I think also remembering vulnerability. You know we're all we're all broken, we're all having a scrap. Everyone at the end of the day, they're doing their best. You know, it is difficult, but there are tools to help us. And whenever I talk about the stuff that I teach other people, I remember to do it for myself as well. Well, you've injected that belief into me today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hey there, James here with an exciting announcement. The BizX Awards is coming to the ACC Liverpool from the 18th to the 19th of April with an incredible lineup of speakers. You're going to meet the likes of Stephen Mulhern, Donald Miller, Deborah Meaden, and many, many more. Book your spot right now at thebizx.co.uk. And if you've enjoyed listening to the Business Excellence podcast, make sure to comment your top learnings and favorite moments, as well as like and subscribe. See you next time.